Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. Today I am very pleased to say we are joined by Tom Spring. Tom is a scouting and recruitment analyst, uh, formerly of Bournemouth, um, during their time in the Premier League. Tom is joining us today to discuss his background, the role of a recruitment analyst, club recruitment policies, how players are identified, and we'll discuss what the future of scouting and recruitment looks like. So Tom, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you, Michael. And yourselves? Yeah, we're good. Thanks, mate. Not too bad. I just still reading from yesterday's Arsenal defeat, but we won't go too much into that. I don't think um, it's it's one of those things where I've stopped. I've stopped getting upset now. So <laughs> I think now 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 that I'm past that, I'm looking forward to next season, the Championship. I think will really suit us. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll just we'll leave that one there. Yeah, clearly not bothered. Uh, so to kick things off, uh, Tom, I thought it'd be good to you know introduce you, get your background. So. Can you kick us off with how you got into football? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, how I got into football? Well, I've always played football from from a young age. Um, you know, when I was a, a kid and and stuff like that. Um, but the the nuts and bolts of it, I think, um, what what you guys really care about is how I ended up in professional football. So we'll we'll skip a <laughs> we'll uh, we'll skip a few <laughs> chapters, shall we say? Um, <laughs> But I was I was educated in Dubai. So um, my mum and dad moved out here when I was twelve and twelve or thirteen year, years of age, and um, I began coaching at um, a local football academy. And yep. so I started my first, you know, uh, backroom team sort of role, if you like, uh, as a coach. Uh, I graduated from my school A levels. I went to Bournemouth University uh, to yep. study sports management. And during that time, that was that was a key moment because uh, AFC Bournemouth were advertising for a performance analyst intern uh, with the academy. Uh, it was a free role, an internship. Um, sorry, a, a, volunt- a voluntary role. Um, yeah. And and I took it. I I went for the interview. I got the job. Uh, and to be honest, it just started off with just filming, you know, the academy games on a. The youth team game on a Saturday and and the the academy age group games on a on a Sunday, and then as I grew into that role and you know made relationships and and produced you know good filming, I was then asked to produce some work, etc. etc. And um, that's that's how I f- I fell into the football club, and I worked um, during my university course. I had a, a placement year, so. I, I took that option to spend with AFC Bournemouth full time and it was half of the year was, was in performance analysis. And then the latter half of the year was with uh, the recruitment department, which was supplementing the under 21 team at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> and then upon my graduation, I was afforded a, a, a full-time job, a full-time contract within the, the first mm. team recruitment, recruitment uh, department. So I, I just worked my way up slowly but surely um impressed with my work one would one would like to uh <laughs> well, one would like to imagine and um and made some good relationships along the way so that's that's how I fell into the role yeah it's interesting so was recruitment analytics kind of the uh, the end game was that something you always wanted to do or as you said you just fought, fell into that or something you developed at your time at Bournemouth do you know what? I'll be I'll be really honest with you, Michael, and, and I've I've honestly never disclosed this before. But every every single role that I've I've been in, in terms of you know when I was coaching, I thought, yep, coaching's for me. I really want to coach. And yep. then then I saw this performance analyst role. I didn't really know what it entailed to begin with, 
And then I went into that and I was like, yep, I really want to do performance analysis. This, <laughs> this is for me. And then when I got into recruitment, I was like, yep, like this is a hundred percent for me. I, I, you know, this is, this is the one. Um, so, <laughs> so, but I, I do honestly think that uh, I joke, but I do honestly think that recruitment and scouting is, is for me. It, it's definitely my favorite role. And I think I've been, I've been in scouting and recruitment for a number of years now that I'm no longer in my mind <clears throat> good enough to become a coach or good enough to, to go back into performance analysis. I mean, yes, you, you can work at it and improve. Of course you can. But for me, I think I've been out of those disciplines for a, a little bit too long now. And yeah, I'm, I'm more focused and uh, I desire to improve myself in the scouting and recruitment discipline and work my way up within, within this discipline. Yes, I suppose when you were you're a student, like most football fans, you wouldn't know what these roles particularly entail at a football club or what roles were even existing at a football club. And a lot of these roles are obviously ever-expanding, quite new to clubs as they get bigger, as obviously Bournemouth got to the Premier League, so these sort of departments expand. So <laughs> the whole point of this episode is that we're going to dive into what those those roles are, recruitment in particular, because they're such an unknown for fans. Um, and so it might must have been the same for you. Quick question before we go into uh, the serious stuff, Tom, though. What is it like working for a football club? Is it how you always thought it would be? Yeah, it's a good question. And and even when I talk to my mates and, and stuff like that, they always ask me that as well, or well, they did previously. Um, it's a part of my character is I'm very, I'm very devoted and I'm very committed to, to my job. No matter what that is, I could be, you know, uh, work I could be a barista and I'd still I'd still want to be the, <laughs> I could still want I'd still want to be the best uh, the best barista in Starbucks if you like so yeah my my character trait I found with that bearing in mind that character trait that I have I found that working in a football club was very time consuming um you you have to be available 24 7 because you never know who can phone and at what time um mm. so yeah, time consuming is definitely one. It's, do you know what the best feeling is like? And you can imagine it like when uh, when you're going around for lunch or going around for breakfast or whatever and, and after a game that the first team have won, you can imagine the, <laughs> the environment is brilliant and, you know, all the players would say hello and you could have a conversation with <clears throat> loads of different staff and it was a brilliant environment to be in when you've won. If you re if if you reverse that, you can imagine that the environment <laughs> to be in was was a very difficult one. Yeah. So, working in a football club is is almost bipolar. If uh, for the for the want of a better phrase, it's one week it, it's an exceptional place to be in, and the next week it's uh, you you would want to be as far away from there as possible. <laughs> All right. So so kind of yeah, moving things on to. You know, the integrity of what it's actually like working as a recruitment analyst or an analyst in general. One of the questions I've always wanted to know is, what is the process in identifying a player? Because sometimes I'll read a headline like, everybody is tracking X. So how 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 would you find that player? Is it through some type of metrics that you'd look at? Is it age profile? Is it from physical watching? That's kind of the question I wanted to pose to you first. Yeah, well, it's it's different at um, at every club, um, mm. and I've only worked at one football club, Etchers, to be honest. So mm. I can't I can't really you know um, definitively comment on what other people, what other football clubs um, 
processes are. Uh, what I can tell you through my experience that uh, you say about metrics, now that's one side of it. There's the, the data identification side of, of scouting, data scouting, if you like. Um, but the side I'm most familiar with, the process to identify a player, well, in conjunction between a sporting director and a manager, you're given a framework to work within. Now, as you know, obviously you guys know AFC Bournemouth and the values of, of how they recruit players, and that was, you know, young British players. Um, so the, the the basic framework I can give you that, you know, the process we go through or I went through through my experience was to recruit, to, to scout players under the age of 24. And mm. it was, we would positional profile where um, there would be assigned attributes and skill sets from the goalkeeper down to the down to the striker and sometimes there'd be different types within that so even though center midfield is one position effectively as you guys know there's different types of center midfielder so we we uh, through my experience there was profiled positions and different types within that and they were each assigned attributes and skill sets, and and that was you know technical, tactical, um, character-wise, um, psycho psychological side as well. So we were educated about all of these attributes and skill sets assigned to each of these positions, and then we were given, uh, we were assigned leagues to to go and to go and watch. Um, I was assigned uh, two leagues within Europe. Um, and then it was essentially up to you, you know, get to work, watch the games, find the players that excite you. So those are the processes. Now, I will touch on, and please bear in mind, I'm not an, an, an expert practitioner in data analytics, but I absolutely love data. And I love data analytics in scouting, and I'm working hard to become a skilled, uh, a skilled data analyst as well, to be honest, because I think it'll be a valuable part of my skill set. So... There, there is a new, not a new way, because I'd say for you know Brentford as the most famous club, um, yeah. uh, you know recruit through data, and there's a, essentially they they would look at the data side of scouting is you would look at event data, um, so it could be um, progressive passes into the final third, um, etc., shots on target, etc., whatever it might be. There's loads of different event data. I can't think off the top of my head. But now um, you see more clubs do that, and they have to hit a certain um, a certain benchmark figure in order to be, uh, you know, whittled down from 100 players to 20 players, um, just to have a look at the pool you want to you want to fish in effectively. I see. So you touched on something which really rang a bell to my football manager days which was <laughs> which was which was character i remember one time on football manager ages ago i think i signed a player that had uh, i think his his character they have a little description on their personality and that's kind of a question that i remember i listened to a podcast years ago where they talk about football manager and how they actually went out and found out about these players characters <clears> is that part yeah. of what you have to do as well and how do you actually do that so if you know if i'm a i don't know a really brave uh committed player how would you actually find that out is that just from watching how the you know the player's behavior or would it be for other ways um yeah tough question i think that if you're if you're a scout 
I think it's mm. or, or a recruitment analyst that that you know technical scout whatever the whatever the role may be. For me, I think you have to simply judge the player from from their performances with you know on the pitch because if you have a preconceived idea about a player um, because of his off pitch antics, you know it's gonna it's gonna it's going to bring bias to the table and effectively that can uh, distort uh, decision making so for me i'm i'm very much one that just judges players um, on their on on their performances on the pitch um what how it works or as again this is just through my experience so there would um what i've been through is that i've worked um alongside someone in the department who was a consultant who would specific that was that was their role as soon as the targets had been decided by you know multiple scouts and the chief scout and the and the technical director it would be their job to filter that information to uh, the consultant who would then go about doing his job which was doing the background checks on the player making sure that you know speaking to former teammates former managers um, friends etc etc and that would be uh, a comprehensive background check on on the player's lifestyle um, and then that would be fed back to the technical director and the manager who would then decide whether that it was you know whether they passed the the character referencing test essentially okay i've i've always i've always wondered because it's yeah it's one of those things which is very important in football you know you want to have the right type of personality and character i wasn't too sure how you go about it so the next question i kind of had was how long do you watch slash analyze uh, the group of players for so you know you assign two leagues i assume okay one week x and y were really really good and then next week it was j for example do you then follow them closer and closer or is it more of like an overall thing and then you look back as the season goes on as to who particularly stood out Oh yeah, another tough question, Eches. Um, <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll ease up after this. No, 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 please, no, it's good. It, it, it's really good, actually. Um, yeah, so it's important that you. For me, I think the best way to keep track of players is to clearly define how you bucket them. So, of course, when you go and scout players, you're going to find players that you you want to sign. Like you just know that they're good enough, and they can, you know. You sign them; they can play in your starting eleven, and then you can you'll you'll know that some players are a shortlist. Maybe at the bracket below a sign, you know, you wouldn't outright sign them, but you would you want your chief scout or your technical director to you know take a look and reinforce your judgment if you like. Um, and then you might find that that another player is the best in your region, but if you compare that player from say Germany to England. The player in England might be might be better a better fit for your football club if that makes sense. And then you have players that you might want to monitor, not quite ones that you want to you know they're not quite the best in the region, but they excite you. They show something that your that your your club wants in t- in terms of the, the the profiles that that you're asked to look for. Um, so for me, I think keeping track of a player to to answer your question is about how you clearly define and bucket the the types of players you're watching and where they fit within your estimations and yeah so for me that's the key and it it's difficult because sometimes 
yeah, like you say, one week this player's doing well and then you might not get to see him because you've got other responsibilities on or, or whatnot and then the next week you might play poorly. But if you if you bucket them, for me, you know where they are in your mind so that when you do go back and watch them, you can say, okay, two weeks ago he was in this bracket, but now I've watched him again, I might be able to elevate him or I might be able to like uh, de-escalate him. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that, that's, quite, that's quite clear. Um, so more on that. So I remember I posed this question to, to Dave Seymour a few weeks ago or maybe a month or so ago now. And it was kind of like, when you watch these players, you said that you're aspiring to, to work more with data. But from, from the data information you do know, let's say, has there ever been a player that you've watched quite a few times, you think they're a really, really good player, but then maybe statistically from the bits of data you've looked at, they don't actually match up at all. Has that ever have you ever come across that before or is it often they go hand in hand right so you know if you look at Messi's stats it doesn't really matter whether you watch him or not <laughs> you know you can clearly tell he's a good player yeah absolutely and it's not just that in in that um scenario in which you give it's it's the other one as well it's where they you know they look tremendous on the pitch but the data doesn't really back it up so it's yeah, it's one of them. Sometimes it goes hand in hand. Sometimes it's they're performing really, really high in the data sometimes and they're not looking so great on the pitch when you watch them. And the other times they're performing really well in the pitch in your eyes, but the data doesn't necessarily back that up. So there's a multitude of, um, uh, what's what's the word, um, variations of, of those um, equations, if you like. Um, it's... For me, I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing, though. I think if you critically assess that, it might be that, okay, so I've scouted a player or I'm scouting a player and I'm liking the look of him on the pitch and then his data isn't backing that up. Well, maybe I need that, 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 that's a good trigger point for me to take a step back and assess that and be like, okay, maybe I'm, you know, maybe my bias is, is um, elevating this player more than what he actually should be. And, and mm-hmm. vice versa, if the player's data is is really, really high then or really, really low, and I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe his data is a bit low in, in terms of his events, uh, event data. But when I go and look at him on the pitch, maybe that's because the recipient of his progressive pass or switch of play, whatever it is, isn't, isn't there. And, you know, scouting performance versus potential and then using data to supplement your opinion – is is the, is an art you know that's that's simply what it comes down to yeah no that that, that brought back more football manager vibes as well when you see the player ability slash player potential the same thing but it is really interesting the point you just made because I, I never really thought about it you know something as really really basic as passes completed could be very poor for a player you like but then for example i know that's not the brilliant metric but let's say the recipient of it actually has a poor control therefore the passes are incomplete or maybe the connection wasn't there with the player so something i haven't actually thought about before so that's a really good point so we're near we're quite near january at the moment january transfer window uh as an arsenal fan it's normally it's not a great time of year we're normally linked <laughs> like normally we're always struggling so we're linked with like an overpriced middle-aged type of european player who's probably not going to do very well but for for you and your experience at clubs is that everything kind of seems to go out the window. So, you know, Odi Nigalo at United last year was a really good example where he appeared out of thin air and was in the Premier League. <laughs> is it, how does that kind of work 
from your side of things. So this whole system about how you prep and people move into buckets, can that be accelerated during the January transfer window? Like does planning kind of go out the window? Yeah, I always say, Etchez, um, that the uh, I think I said it to Total Football Analysis actually the the timetable of during the season it's really nice because you have a, a an element of well yeah a large element of routine where you know you're watching a couple of games in in the day or you're sorting out your shortlist you're preparing video presentations or player dossiers you know you have um, a, a good little structure. But when a transfer window comes along, it's not anarchy, but it's uh, it's <laughs> it's it's not quite the same, really. And you always have to be. I always say that in my own head that you have to be proactive to to the to the reactive. So you're always going to be reactive in a transfer window because you know you're reacting to different stimuli, which might be okay. An agent, as an example, has rang up the manager or the technical director. And you th- and it might be that a player you thought was unobtainable is now attainable, but we haven't watched him be- for some for a number of weeks because you know we were under the impression he was unobtainable. So it's like okay, we can get this player. All hands on, everyone watch him or her, whatever it is, and give us give us your opinion. So it's like you have to react. You have to be proactive to reacting to the stimuli that you're given, and that's that's probably the best way I can describe a, a, a transfer window because you can do all the preparation in the world and, you know, it comes to, so what, yeah, like you say, we're approaching January now. So I'd say in November, all your, you know, the positions that the manager has asked that he wants us to recruit for, you know, you've given your options from your countries that you're covering. You could be as prepared as you like, but as soon as you know, as soon as you're in that transfer window, you, you know you might not be able to get this player that you've put forward. So you have to think of your next one. But you haven't watched your next one for a number of weeks, so you have to you know watch him again. So yeah, the, the January transfer window and and most transfer windows, you do have to be uh, you do have to be very proactive. So without naming names, you've obviously worked. Some players have come in during windows or you would have had colleagues at other clubs that have brought in certain players through the January transfer window. Do you think it's useful? So I am of the belief that really, really deep down, the majority of January transfer signings tend not to be a success because of the reactive element to it. There are Bemiangs out there. There are Bruno Fernandes out there. I think there's a few other players off the top of my head as well I can't name I can't think of now that have been brilliant January signings I love Abemiang still to pieces you know I put my life on the line for him but <laughs> generally, generally speaking there are a lot of other ones that fall by the wayside so what are your thoughts looking at the you know being on the other side of it as to whether it's successful or not yeah I mean I'm, you're gonna you're gonna uh, you're gonna dislike me here Eches because I think if I provided an answer to that question it would be arbitrary it would be, you know, there's no. It, you're for me. My interpretation of that question is: Is there a formula for a successful January transfer window, or a, a formula for an unsuccessful January transfer window? Mm. And the the honest answer is no, there isn't. I, without sitting down and assessing every single, you know, successful January transfer window signing, it's it's difficult to give you a a, a good answer for that question. So uh, my apologies. 
No, that's that's that's, that's completely fine. So I'm just gonna. I what I was gonna do with the information was obviously message the Arsenal board themselves, <laughs> so, we can, so we can get the right players in to turn our season around because uh, the, the championship is looming. My experience with it is, I'm not gonna totally sit on the fence for you, but mm. for me, like I come from, you know, a club and a manager that had a, a clearly defined philosophy, and you know, that really honed in and focused on granular detail and little intricacies of, you know, trigger movements, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if you want a, a player to come in, it, it it does take a bit of time for that, you know, my, through my experience and an and, and adaptation period for that player to come through and understand, you know, the club, understand the manager, understand the philosophy, all the granular detail and intricacies about, what he needs to do when the ball's here, what he needs to do if this player does this or when this player receives the ball here. So there's a lot of, you know, facets that go into the philosophy that I've I've come from, the one that I know. So that's for me, that's probably the the overriding reason that, you know, sometimes January transfers don't work out is because it it takes time to adapt and understand a style of play and a philosophy. And you're asking a lot for a player to come in in January, understand it, and perform at the uh, at the highest capability that this player can between January and May to get results for your football club. So I think, for me, that's probably the overriding reason for unsuccessful January transfer windows. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, you know clubs and fans you know you want a quick fix or an immediate fix to a certain problem right you know you're not going to sign unless if as you said someone is available that wasn't available before you're ideally signing someone to literally hit the ground running that phrase hit the ground running is used all the time by <laughs> players coming in um so I, I think you are right there's that added pressure whereas a summer signing is normally afforded a year because it's that thing of, oh, well, they've come from X country or this team. Whereas the January transfers is literally like, right, you know, ready-made, you know, he experienced or whatever it may be, and he has to definitely uh, perform. The final question I kind of had for you, Tom, was can it be this whole thing of, you know, the consultants, the technical director, the, you know, whoever it may be, can it be really difficult to convince certain people either above you or around your level over certain players so can it be quite difficult to kind of prove your case so you said you were given two leagues i assume someone else have another two leagues and these players kind of battle it out i'm sure the players you've looked at we've thought this is the guy you know for whatever my club may need so can it be quite tricky to convince management over it it can be quite competitive yeah absolutely and that's one of the biggest um uh, the wrong adjective to use is frustrating. It's one of the, uh, I can't think of the right adjective to describe it, but it is one of those, it's one of those things that it, it does happen and it, it, it can be difficult to accept because, you know, you, you're doing a lot of work on a player. You might watch this player 10 times and, you know, you're adamant, you're, you've you've omitted all your biasness, you've omitted uh, all the, you you know you've studied this player inside and out you've presented him through the right channels and you know it just comes down to that player's performance you know it can come down to timing it's yeah it, it it's probably yeah frustration is probably a, a, the right word for it because 
you know, like I say, you put all this work in, but the the seniority that your superiors may watch him on an off day, and you know that's their minds made up. Do you know what I mean? But essentially, I I always I always give advice to people about this because you, if you work in in professional football and recruitment departments, especially, you know, sorry, specifically, you will come across this. And for me, you have to be willing to accept it. You know, these guys, your superiors are in those positions for a reason. They are expert practitioners, you know, technical directors, head coaches, managers. They are there because they're severely talented people. They are the expert practitioners in their field. You have to trust their judgment. And you, if their judgment is not aligned to yours, you have to accept that. And you have to be, you know, motivated to find the next one because if you – if you just carry that on with a chip on your shoulder that are oh, what, what, what is the point in, in promoting the next player? If, if it's going to be the same, yeah. the same outcome, you, you know, you will find that we're all human at the, at the end of the day and we all do have emotion, but you, you have to be a scout's job is to be motivated to always find the next one. Even if you sign a player, Eches and Michael, it works. It works the other way. You know, you could convince a, you could convince the manager to sign a player that you've, you know, you scouted all that, all that time. You put in all the hard hard work, and you get a pat on the back, and you think, okay, yeah, cool, this is great. But you can't rest on your laurels in that aspect either. You have to be motivated to go and find the next one. So it works both ways. Yeah, I suppose finding that that gem or uncovering that Alexis Sanchez type player is the is the yeah treasure trove for anyone in your profession. But as you say, it can work both ways. And also, I mean, football is a massive game of opinions. So trying to convince those around you that um, a player is suitable, and then even once that's achieved, there's so much workings within the football club of that player. If that player will actually eventually come in to play for the football club, so you've got so much around you. But you're completely right there. Um, so, yeah, moving on to uh, future of recruitment, Tom. So we might be surmising a bit here, but I thought we'd finish on some kind of more interesting questions around um, where recruitment um, might be heading um, and sort of scouting in general. So firstly, is there, just from your time uh, at Bournemouth or looking forwards, are there any leagues or particular geographical areas that you think clubs are targeting more, maybe because they're cheaper to source from, they've got their upcoming kind of, I don't know, force in football? Uh, and if so, where do you think that is? Another good question. It's, um, I do, do you know what? I, it, this is something I'm researching, actually. Um, uh, and I re, I'm really big on, see, I like, you know, I didn't, I avoided a question because I didn't want to make an arbitrary statement, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm, I'm going to, this is the section for those. Yeah. This is the section. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to kind of submit an arbitrary statement here. Um, which is I, I, I have a belief in me that countries have a period, like a cycle, where like there's a certain age group that just comes through and you know they all come to fruition at one point. Like when France won the World Cup, the amount of talented young French players that were coming through, you know, a lot of them signed for Barcelona, Ousmane Dembele, etc., etc. Yeah. Um, and before that was, or, or I can't remember if it was, yeah, before that was Belgium, you know, like Lukaku, De Bruyne, like the, yeah. they had that cycle where they just was several of them coming through and, um, you know, really 
really performing at a high level and, and making people take note at the minute. I guess England, you could throw England in there, you know, with Greenwood, Foden, um, a couple of players moving across to Portugal, yeah. for example. So for me, I think that there's a cycle where um, I kind of, I'm, cha- I'm changing the question slightly, Michael. So <laughs> please accept my apologies. Don't worry. Yeah, I kind of think that there's a cycle where countries are just, it goes through a cycle and they produce the best players for a certain year, certain season or a couple of seasons. Now, I'm really keen to delve more into that, but I want I want some, you know, real theory, you know, theory and references to underpin that, um, you know, ac- academia. So, yeah, that's, that's what I believe. Um, in terms of leagues or areas that clubs are targeting more, I think difficult one to answer because you want to be, you want to find the best players in every league, especially if you're a Premier League club, you're going to want, you know, you're going to want a stretch of resources to, you know, covering every league and knowing about every player. Obviously, it's it's near enough impossible, but you're going to, you're going to try your best to do that. So I can't mm-hmm. exactly give you a specific answer in what leagues or areas people are targeting more because it, it, it does vary. But I definitely think that there are, Certain countries and certain cycles where there's a hot bed of talent coming through. Would would you guys agree with that? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think uh, as you mentioned, I think the cycle argument or the or idea is is very prominent because if you look at Belgium, if you look at France. I mean, obviously France won the World Cup in '98. They went through a, a long spell um, without uh, achieving much. Actually, not really surpassing the group stages in a lot of competitions. And it's almost that idea that for a golden generation to come forward the previous generation to an extent has to flop because otherwise they all, they can't all come through at once. And that's a challenge. Um, it's a good challenge to have. <laughs> it's a good idea to have. I certainly um, would agree with that. Um, and I think, go back to your point about um, it's difficult to say what, what, what leagues, what areas t- clubs are targeting more these days. I suppose it, it also comes back to the idea of, well, it depends on the club and the club in question. So, each club will have their own transfer policy. They'll have their own budget, I suppose. So when I was referring to ge- geographical areas, if you'd look at, say, for example, Salzburg, who've signed a lot from Africa in recent years, mm. that's because their organization seemingly is is looking to develop in developing nations, is looking to branch out into kind of uncharted territory to an extent in terms of those particular countries and leagues. Yeah. Um, isn't, isn't kind of directly bringing players from from out of those those areas and also because if you can pick a gem out of you know one of those countries then you're going to pick them up quite cheaply um as opposed to going to an established nation as you mentioned like france or or belgium where those you might have to play a bit of a yeah and and for me i think salzburg and and the Red Bull franchise in general to be honest are real innovators because uh, salzburg use fc lifering which is uh, the almost like a, a second team a feeder team into salzburg where they they sign those players from those developing nations and you only have to look at nabi Keita and amadou haidara who came yep. came through uh Liefering, moved into salzburg and obviously haidara is now at leipzig and nabi Keita is uh is, is at liverpool so um they they do it really well um and then you have uh, Norseland as well in Denmark, where the owner also owns Right to Dream Academy in Ghana, and they take players from from the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana and 
give them a platform into their first team. Um, and you and you can see that it, it has results because Mohamed Kudus went to Ajax for 13 million euros or or, or something mm-hmm. um, something this summer. So this past summer, so that you can definitely see that those uh, methodologies of of innovative scouting are are working. And um, yeah, hats off to to both those clubs for sure. Yeah, and kind of um, building on this, this might be another tough question, but is there a particular type of player that you think has become more sought after, again, drawing perhaps on your experience? I think in the Premier League, we had a kind of an influx of kind of this idea of bringing in this technical number 10, and that uh, and that isn't just at the top of, say, the Premier League. We saw clubs, even like Crystal Palace, bringing in like Max Mayer, for example. <laughs> it's not maybe the best example, but we saw a number of players come into the league fitting that mould. Do you think that's changed now? Yeah, again, I, I I guess that it comes down to cycles again, and I'm not going to go into cycles again because I don't <laughs> I don't have the you know the theoretical um, uh, you know academic information to underpin it, which which I'm big on. But I think that the most uh, obvious example I can or story I could give you is obviously England. You know, we didn't have a left back half post Ashley Cole for many many years and, and now we, we could i thought I, I saw something on twitter very recently that england could fill their their whole side with with a fullback or, or whatever it was so um yeah i would say to to answer your question directly michael yeah i would say that yeah the wingers and forwards most sought after because they're the most exciting you know that's the business end of the pitch but with the way the game's changed, I think fullbacks have probably, to answer your question, become the most sought after in recent years. I think what we're seeing in football now is um, you don't see as many specialists. So, you know, we're getting players like David Alaba, who I've seen at centre-back. Uh, I've seen him at fullback. I've seen him at cam. I've got, you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, who plays fullback, but can also play in midfield. You've got a lot of players now. I think Emre Chan plays at CB, plays at CDM. I think when you go back to maybe 10, 15 years ago, there are a lot of positions where you had a guy that was a specialist in that position. And yeah. now what we're getting is a lot of players that are extremely dynamic. I saw Ferran Torres play up top for Spain, but then he predominantly plays wide for City. And what we're seeing is a lot of these players are multifunctional. So even though, you know, they may not... We don't, Aaron Lennon is a great example classic old school out on that winger goes yeah. past the man whips the ball in goal output was quite minimal you don't really see that anymore uh, you know someone of his build is like sterling i would say but then sterling is so much more than that he can play in a two just to behind he can play up top on his own you know he, he's got so much more to him and i think yeah. that's kind of what football is it's going towards a bunch of guys that are so multifunctional that yeah. what what is sought after is that their their uh, ability exactly 100 i think that comes down to the you know the players nowadays are technically so so good like you know the academy coaching gets a lot of stick sometimes for you know players and in sometimes lacking heart you know you see you see a lot of those articles in the media don't you that almost berating academy coaching for making them too technical but for me, that's why it's so, they're so good and they they have that versatility because, you know, Trent Alexander is essentially a flawless technician that 
yeah, he's capable of playing, you know, very well in midfield because technically he's so good. He can receive the ball in tight areas. He's, you know, he scans his spatial awareness. Like he's, he's just got the ability to do that because of how technically and tactically good he's been brought up with the level of coaching he's received. So just to, to, to kind of end on here now, Tom, um, it's kind of, again, a quite a far-reaching question, but so what do you think the future of recruitment analytics looks like? So just to give that a bit more uh, yeah. meat on the board, are we moving to, do you think, more of a largely data-driven approach to identifying talent? I think it just touched on our episode we had with Dave, uh, Dave Seymour at Total Football Analysis, and he did, he touched on how you know the field is moving towards more towards data, but you still have coaches who are still uh, are more receptive to this is more on the performance side, but more receptive still to the old school methods, and that perhaps could translate to scouting. So, so how do you see the future uh, of kind of recruitment? Yeah, I think the day, um, the the recruitment and scouting side is definitely moving towards a data, a more data driven approach, a more you know more modern approach as opposed to traditional methods, but. I see that as a good thing. Um, I think I know I can't um, say this lightly enough that having implementing a perfect blend of both, you know, balance is so key and so important in this matter because, you know, if you employ uh, data specialists, there's an argument, and I'm not saying that it's the 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 true uh, it's a true notion, but there is an argument that perhaps that they're knowledge of the game is not as um, uh, comprehensive as those that have, you know, lived it, breathed it, been involved in it, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if that data person can work with the more traditional person, you know, to enhance their knowledge and the data person can en- enhance the traditional person's um, methodologies about how things can be done to, you know, make the process more efficient. I think that's brilliant. You know, you need to be able to work together, work in conjunction. And, you know, you the old adage is you can't get to every live game out there, you know. So why not cover, um, cover loads of video games, you know, by the time it takes to travel to a game, et cetera, et cetera. So the data side is, and the video side as well, you know, with Scout, et cetera, I think it, it does benefit the game, massively and i would i would say that balance is key and if you can get that blend right then you're on to then you're on to something really really special the other the other side of it is in terms of where i see the game going is at the minute you have a lot of competitors as you do in every industry um uh, a competitor for a video platform a competitor for a reporting and shortlisting system uh, a data provider and a data visualization uh, provider as well. So, you know, producing scatter plots and frequency tables, etc. Now, for me, I think that there'll be a platform uh, in the near future that encompasses all of those things. So you'll have, you know, like a Y scout, but you'll have a really, um, really uh, comprehensive reporting and shortlisting or really developed reporting and shortlisting system as well. You'll have a data provider incorporated within it. I just think you'll have all these, you know, there's different providers out there that you have to subscribe to, you know, to keep a competitive advantage. And I think that in the future, there'll be one platform that encompasses all of those things. Yeah, no, I think, I think the future, the future looks quite, it's interesting in that aspect and I think it's definitely something to look out for 
one of the things that you touched on earlier, which I really wanted to ask you a question on, Tom, was yep. this: how clever uh, Michelander and how clever uh, Leipzig are, one that Leipzig with the Red Bull Network. And um, what are your thoughts on Premier League clubs being, what's the word I'm looking for, more not innovative with the players that they sign because I'm sure they are, but take bigger risks. So what I mean by that is I think the way I look at the Premier League at the moment is someone like Gabriel Martinelli joining Arsenal, I don't see that common with other clubs because I think what happens is with the larger teams is what they tend to do is this guy is really good statistically. We may watch him, but he's playing in, let's say, uh, Czech Republic. So what tends to happen is he'll move from Czech Republic to France and then when he starts performing in France, his price goes up and then Man United then rub their hands together and say, okay, let's go and buy him now for, you know, quadruple the price. The, the question I kind of have was, do you think we'll see in the future with the strengthening of data and analytics, bigger clubs opt to make larger risks on players? Or is it that element of, you know, the gap is just simply too big, no matter how good they are? I'm, uh, I'm going to give you uh, my famous sit-on-the-fence answer here, Echez. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 a, it's a good one. When yeah. I come to know what no, I think, you know, do you know what? It's a question I, I ask myself and I, um, yeah. and I think a lot of people will be asking themselves that as well, to be honest, because it's, yeah, essentially, if you can go and cut out that player, sorry, you, if you can go and cut out the middleman or, or the middle club in this uh, in this example, um, to save money, um, you know, if you can go and get the same player for 30 million less than what you've had to pay for him, then 100%, like that's that's a positive. So, like you say, a player could go from uh, the, the the Czech Republic league to to Liga in France for five million, but then a Premier League club is having to spend 45 or 35 million for him. Then, yeah, if you can go straight to Czech Republic for Five million, of course, you you save yourself that that capital of, of thirty million, whatever it is. So, yeah, that is a benefit. But the 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 counter argument to that is, if that player had not gone, had not made that move to France in this example, would he have become that player, that thirty-five or forty-five million pound player? You know, it's a mm. it's a rhetorical question, of course it is, but you have to ask yourselves these questions because. I hate to say it, but the level of football around, you know, it differs from some leagues to the others. That's just how it is. That's that's yeah. the football world. Um, so, yeah, there is an argument that players, you know, they maybe have to make that move to make them the player that they become or could become. Uh, but should Premier League clubs back themselves and back their staff and, you know, in terms of their abilities to improve that player or develop that player into into the 35 or 45 million pound player that we're referring to arguably yes as well it's no no right or wrong i guess no you're certainly right i mean that what you touched on there around you know if a player is playing in a league not even like the czech league where it's you know they'll, they'll have teams in the europa league and will go quite far but in other nations say in africa how can you determine whether that player is capable of playing at premier league level if they're only playing with you know players that aren't of a, of a certain quality and i guess that is where um, the Red Bull Network is so good because they've got teams at almost each end of the, sp- the spectrum. So you've got life rain up to up to Leipzig. So they can then have players come through, almost almost promote or graduate up that network. But yeah, it's it's, a, it's an interesting discussion indeed. But uh, I think we've run out of time there, Tom. And I 
really appreciate you and we both really appreciate you coming on today to be some great insight on uh, the recruitment side of the game um good luck with your future endeavors and uh yeah you had a bit of homework though i think that you're getting back to us on so <laughs> please 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 do uh complete that but no thank you very much tom and um it's been a pleasure really appreciate it, tom. no my pleasure thank you both for having me i really appreciate it